If you'd like to take out your Bibles, um, we're going to start in Galatians chapter 6 today. Um, this talk is called Seed Time and Harvest. Um, so if you've, if you've done any driving around the countryside recently, no doubt you've, you've either seen a farmer in a tractor driving around a paddock in ever in smaller circles, planting some crop, or, or you've seen the 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 effects of somebody doing that, um, a freshly you know planted paddock, um, and Jesus when he was talking to people and, and through the scriptures, there's a lot of there's a lot of references to to obviously the concept of of planting seed and harvesting and those sorts of things, and obviously you know the, the society that that God was dealing with through when the Bible was written was a fairly agrarian. Society, so everyone understood this. But even today, you know, each of us at some point in in our lives has probably stuck a seed in the ground of some sort and and watched it grow and hopefully got some harvest out of the end of it or got some nice looking flowers to smell or look at or whatever you do with flowers. Um, and so we understand the concept that of you know planting something and seeing it grow and and getting a result at the end and. And the scriptures obviously talk a lot about um, this, and so I wanted to look at some of those scriptures today. And and when it comes, so if you've if you decided that you're going to, you know, grow something, there's a bit of a process that you have to go through. You have to first decide what it is that you're going to plant. If you've you know dug yourself a veggie patch in the backyard, you have to make some decisions. Are you going to plant some you know some broccoli or some cabbage or some peas or you know, or if you're a farmer who's, you know, planting crops, you've got to decide are you going to plant wheat or barley or canola or are you going to, you know, plant some soybeans or, or whatever you're going to plant. You've got to make a decision about what seed you're going to put in the ground and, and what, because obviously there's a, there's a goal at the end. So, and you plant based on what you want to harvest at the end. And you have to decide how much of those things you're going to put in the ground. You know, how many... Peas are you going to stick in the ground because, you know, how many peas do you want at the end? How many, you know, hectares of barley are you going to plant because, you know, you expect to get an income from that? Um, you have to decide when you're going to plant. When's the best time to do it? And you have to decide where you're going to plant those things. Where's a good place to put the particular thing that you're trying to plant? And so there's all these decisions that have to be made. And spiritually, it's, it's a similar sort of thing. So I wanted, that's what I want, kind of the, the structure that I wanted to go through this talk at. So I wanted to start with the decision about what, what are we going to plant? And so Galatians chapter 6 here, um, we'll start in verse 7, just a scripture to start with. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so there's a very simple concept here that whatever you sow, that's what you'll get in the end. If you plant a bunch of wheat seeds in the ground, then at some point you're going to have a harvest of wheat. If you plant you know, petunias, you're going to get a harvest of petunia flowers. You're not going to get roses or something else. You will get what you sow. And it's a, obviously it's a concept that we all understand. And so there's a dichotomy here between you can either sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. And we tend to think 
And I know I did for a long time thinking about this scripture, that when you think about sowing to the flesh, I always thought about those things that are really kind of antagonistic to ourselves spiritually. We think of sowing to the flesh as, you know, going out and, you know, drinking and partying and sexual immorality and and all those things that the scriptures warn us to stay away from. But if you think about it, to sow to the flesh, to sow to the natural man, it's not just those things, but it's everything that we do in most of our lives. You know, you probably had breakfast this morning. That's, an as- that's sowing to the flesh. You have to look after your flesh. You have to put some Wheaties in it. You know, you probably brushed your hair this morning because you, you know, if you, I didn't, clearly. Um, but if you have slightly more hair than me, you probably had to brush it and make it look neat and tidy because, you know, and these are all, you know, we, we sow to the flesh every day because we have to live in this world as natural people. And the scripture here points out that the things that you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption. You reap things which don't last. They're corruptible. They, they fade. And it's like if you, you know, Tonight, if you went and had the most amazing meal you can think of, maybe it's, you know, a lobster thermidor with, you know, a lovely, you know, I don't know, creme brulee pudding for dessert or whatever you're into, the most amazing meal you can think of, and you sat there and you ate it, you're going to feel amazing afterwards. You're going to be so satisfied. And you're going to go to bed and you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to be hungry. Because that satisfaction that you got from that most amazing meal that you can possibly think of is temporary. It's, it's of the flesh, so it's corruptible. It disappears, and you're going to have to eat again tomorrow. And you probably can't afford to eat that amazing lobster creme brulee meal again because you spent all your money last night. But this is the, the point that the scriptures are getting at here, is that anything that we do in the natural the benefit that we get from it is going to disappear. It's going to be co- because it's corruptible. It, you know, whatever good feelings we get from it. You know, you buy a new car and it feels really nice to drive, but then someone's going to bash their shopping trolley into the side of it and scratch it up, or it's going to break down and then you've got to pay to repair it and the shine goes away. Anything that we do in the natural, the feel, the good part of it doesn't last. And, you know, elsewhere, um, you know, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, Paul writes, For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And it's a scripture that I've heard used by many people who don't like exercise. They're saying, see, the scriptures say there's no point to it, but... That's not quite what, what the writer was getting across here, is saying that you know bodily exercise, looking after your natural body, there's some profit in it, but it's temporary. Because your natural body is temporary. It's only designed to last you know, 60, 70, 80 years. And you know, no matter how well you look after it, no matter how many vitamins you take each day and how much exercise you're going to do, it's going to fall apart at some point. And so... The bodily exercise that you do, it only has benefit for a short period of time. You know, anybody who's done any sort of training for anything, you know that you can be really, really fit, but then if you sit for a fortnight and do nothing, all that fitness just poof, 
disappears. And the next time you go for a run or do some exercise, you're panting and puffing and you feel like you've got blood in your mouth again. And, and you start from scratch because the profit was gone. But what, the, what Paul was getting at here is, okay, that's only temporary. But if you exercise godliness, that's profitable for eternity. That's not going to fade. And as it says here in, in Galatians, it says, He that sows to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. So each day in our lives, we're going to do some planting. And we have to plant some things to the flesh. We have to take care of our natural bodies. We have to pay bills. We have to do all those sorts of things. But it's so important to make sure that that's not all that we do. Because if all that we do is sow to the flesh... We only get things which are corruptible. But if we sow to the Spirit, if we take that time in prayer and reading and you know, in maybe listening to a, a talk you know, as we're going about our day or something, then we get a benefit from that which is everlasting. So we've got to make sure that when we think about, when we think about it every day, it's like, well, what am I going to sow to the Spirit today? Because by and large, we're going to do a lot of stuff for the flesh because we have to. Otherwise, you know, you'd all be here with rumbly tummies for not having your breakfast and messed up hair and I'd have to look at you and listen to your stomachs rumbling. Um, so let's make sure that we, we plant as much or more to the spirit than we do to the flesh because, you know, elsewhere the scriptures say that, you know, no one just lets their body, you know, waste away we always remember to feed it so we need to make sure we remember to to feed our spiritual body and to plant to the spirit as well um let's go to second corinthians chapter nine we're in that same area another scripture that i'm sure will be very familiar to you second corinthians chapter nine just one verse here or maybe two. Verse six. It says, But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So really straightforward principle here. The more you sow, the more you reap. And it's interesting that the the Ag Department here in, in WA did this 10-year trial out at their field station at Meriden looking at if you plant your crop closer together, do you, you know, is that a good thing? And after 10 years, they, they concluded that if you sow more, you shall reap more. <laughs> if you plant more crop closer together, you end up with more harvest at the end. It took them 10 years, and I could have just read that scripture to them and said, look, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You know, Plant more seeds in the ground and you'll get more harvest. And, and this, this principle holds, obviously, in natural things, but it also it holds whether we're sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. You know, If you do lots of effort in the flesh, you will reap lots of corruptible things from the flesh. If you go and work really, really hard at your job, you'll probably get a promotion and get more money. And you'll find that the things that you buy with your money are just as corruptible, just as short-term, just as fading away as if you had few things to buy with your money. And the same with spiritual things. The more time we put into the spirit, the more benefits we get. 
But obviously the benefits that we get from the Spirit are so much more satisfying, so much more important. So again, we make sure that, you know, it's, a, it's an encouragement to, to, in all things, don't be lazy. Put effort into whatever you're doing and so bountifully, but make sure more, more so than anything, you're sowing bountifully to the Spirit. And obviously in verse 7 it goes on to say that, you know, that we should sow according as we purpose in our heart, let us give. It's not, don't do it because I told you to. <laughs> do it because you see the value in it. That, you know, when we come to doing things for the Lord, when it comes to contributing to the fellowship and, you know, preaching the gospel and those sorts of things, it's not out of necessity. It's not out of, well, I'm going to go and do this because God told me I have to. Sometimes we kind of have to push ourselves because it feels like that. But if we do it cheerfully, if we do it because we understand that the wonderful gift that we've been given and how much we should be prepared to give to others, then there's so much blessing in that. Um, so how much should you be planting? Lots. Throw seed everywhere. Just chuck it around the place. You know, because it's not like in, you know, farming or gardening where you've got to go and buy the seed from your garden centre or purchase it from your seed supplier. There's a never-ending supply of of seed from the Lord, of of the gospel to plant. The more you plant, the more will be there. It's never going to run out, so just chuck it out everywhere. Um, Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. One of the big parts of planting crop is about when. When do you plant? And obviously, if, as I said at the start of the talk, if you've been out in the, the agricultural areas recently, you've seen it's, it's been seeding time the last couple of months. People are hard at work putting crops in the ground. And the reason they put the crops in the ground this time of year is because this is when it started to rain. And so those crops are going to grow. But in reality, you don't have to plant your crops this time of year. You could plant them back in December. You can plant them in November. You can plant them. You can plant stuff any time. But sometimes, if you go and plant a crop in December, out out the back of Narragin or somewhere, those seeds are going to sit in the ground for months and months and months, doing nothing. They're going to sit there and they're just going to wait until it rains, and then they'll grow. Um, so we think about planting that there's a specific time when you need to plant. But the seed says, no, I'm designed to be planted any time. Just chuck me in the ground and I'll do the rest. Because, you know, seeds grow when the conditions are right for them to grow. They don't rely on us to have put them in the ground at exactly the right time. You know, in farming you tend to plant at particular times because, you know, you've got other things to do at other times of the year. You're not going to be planting crops when you're harvesting them because you've got to get the last harvest out of the paddock before you can do it. Or you're not going to plant in the middle of summer because that's when you go fishing. You know, there's, there's th- other things to be done. Um, and I, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 11 here. This is one of my favourite scriptures. I've, I've always had this idea that I'm going to engrave this scripture on a big plank of wood and stick it over the gate near the farm. Verse 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So he that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. There's a, a, the um, translation of this in the New Living Translation I really like. It says, the farmer who waits for perfect weather never plants a crop. 
If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just, and it goes on in verse 5. So just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. So plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you don't know if profit will come from one activity or another or maybe from both. And there's a simple principle here. If you, if, obviously, if you wait for the conditions to be just right, you're never going to plant your crop. You know, the, the English have a saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothing. And that's, that's the principle that we need to abide by now in, when it comes to sowing seed for the Lord. Whether that's going out and preaching the gospel to somebody or, you know, encouraging a brother or sister through the word of God, there's never a perfect time to it. The conditions are never going to be right. And I mean, if you're anything like me, I'm sure you've had a situation where you go, oh, I really want to witness to that person. I'm just going to wait just, just, just for that right time. And the months and the years tick by and it never comes. You've just got to get out and do it. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're told to preach the word, to be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. We need to be willing and ready to plant any time, regardless of whether the conditions are good or the conditions are not good. I remember many, many years ago, I was at a convention in Adelaide and um, hanging out with a few um, of the saints, and there was, a, there was an older brother there, and we went into a, a deli to grab some, some things to eat. And he, as we you know, he went through and paid for our stuff... The lady behind the counter said hello to him and he just got into a witness to her. And after we'd left the shop, he was like, oh, that was such a great opportunity from the Lord. I was just like, she only said hello to you. It's like, that's all you need. All you need is someone who's, you know, stops for two seconds. You don't need to wait for somebody to, you know, say, you know, you know, like Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? You don't need to wait for that line. And, and it, it really, and, it, I mean, and this was probably 20 odd years ago that I saw that, and it stuck with me the whole time. And it's like, you know, any time somebody gives you two seconds is an opportunity to preach the gospel. And, and, you know, and he was so grateful for this opportunity. I was like, I didn't even see that as an opportunity. And I was just like, oh, I've got a lot to learn from you. And so, yeah, so when it comes to looking for the right time to sorry, there is no right time to sow. The, well, the right time to sow is right now. You know, just put the seed in the ground. You know, plant the seed, plant the gospel, plant a you know that thought in your brother or sister's mind, a reminder about God's promises. Uh, you know, if someone's heading off in the wrong direction, you know, the seed of you know rebuking to say, look, that's not the right thing to be doing. Let's get back with what the Lord wants us. All these are seeds of the gospel of the good news. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, because it wouldn't be a seed time and harvest talk without the parable of the sower and the seed. As I was writing this talk, I thought, maybe I can write this talk without the parable of the sower and the seed, but (laughs) that was too much of a challenge. Okay. So Matthew chapter 13. We'll, we'll start from the beginning. So a bit of reading to go through here. Verse 1. 
It says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speak thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that that he has. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your ears for they, eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. So hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When any one hears the word of the kingdom, and understands it not, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receives the seed into stony places, the same is he that hears the word, and anon with joy receives it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but endureth for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So a parable that we've, I'm sure, heard many times of the, the different, I guess, responses that, that people tend to have to hearing the word of God. And we tend to think of this parable about preaching the gospel to the unsaved. But it's just as relatable to us as spirit-filled people when we hear the word of God. Because sometimes we can be the wayside. We can be the stony ground. We can be the, 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 the earth with the thorns. And sometimes we're the good ground. You know, we sometimes we might... You know, not be in a particularly good place and we come to a meeting and we hear the word of God preached and it's just ping, 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 bounces right off <laughs> because we're not receptive to it. And so what do we do in that situation? How do we fix that? There's a, there's a great scripture, we'll jump there, Jeremiah chapter 4. 
This was scripture that I'm sure I've read before, but had never really registered with me. All right, Jeremiah chapter 4, and just one scripture here in verse 3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. It's a pretty straightforward instruction. It's interesting that it's, it's an instruction to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. So Judah was the tribe of Israel where the kings came from. And obviously we know that you know, in the New Testament, we're described as kings and priests of God. So we are of spiritual Judah in the New Testament. And we're instructed here to break up fallow ground and sow not amongst thorns. So what's fallow ground? Fallow ground is ground that's been just left. It hasn't had anything planted in it. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a way of managing you know, agricultural land. You leave it fallow for a year, you just let it. It's a thing, you give it a rest. But if you come back to fallow ground, land that's sat there for a year or a few years, unproductive, there's a few things about it. One, it tends to be covered in weeds. And secondly, the surface has gone a bit hard and compacted. And you've got to get in there and you've got to break it up. Because that land, as it sits there with a hard surface, when it rains, the water just runs off. If you try and throw seed onto it, the seed's just going to sit on the surface and is going to get eaten by the, you know, the birds and the bees and ants and other things. They're going to take it away. And so you've got to break up that ground. You've got to turn it over. And, if, and that's what the Lord does with us sometimes. Sometimes if we've become a bit fallow, we've become a bit unproductive, we've become a bit hard to the word of God and, and the seed, when it comes to us, it bounces off a bit. The Lord will give us a bit of a trial to humble ourselves, to, to break up that hard surface that we might have developed. Or we'll send a brother or sister to us to, as the scriptures say, provoke us unto love and to good works, to get in there and dig a bit, you know, to turn us over. And that's what we need sometimes. Sometimes we are, you know, we, we're natural people. We get a bit hard and a bit crusty sometimes and we need to be broken up. It's interesting here that it also says to, that we should break up the fallow ground and sow not amongst thorns. And obviously in the, the parable of the sower and the seed, there's a description of the seed that fell amongst thorns. And it's, it describes that that seed, it, it, it takes root, it grows up, it's developing into a plant, but then the thorns choke it and it doesn't produce fruit. And I think... For us as spirit-filled people, that is one of the big cautionary tales for us, I think, in, in that parable of the sower and the seed. Because in that situation, the plant is still there. It's still there. It's still got leaves. It's still green. You know, spiritually, it's like somebody who's still here. They're at the meetings. They're still here. But the fruit isn't being produced because life and the cares of life are choking the word. And we can all be like this sometimes, that we come to a meeting, we hear the scriptures, we hear the encouragement from the word, and we go, yep, I need to do that. I need to make some change in my life. I need to make more time for prayer. I need to make more time to read my Bible. And then we go home and the bills that need to be paid and the kids that need to be taken to sport and this and that and the other thing crowds in like a whole bunch of thistles choking the word. And, and that good intention that we had when we heard the word and we took it in gets choked and if that's how life is 
there's a bit of weeding that needs to be done. You need to pull some things out and throw them away. Because there's only so much time that we have in our lives, and if our lives are too full with taking care of life, it can choke the word and we stop producing fruit. You know, we haven't withered and disappeared and are no longer here anymore, but we're just not as fruitful as we could be. And so we need to make sure that, you know, if that's the situation we're in in life, and I can tell you, you know, 100 examples in my own life of where I've found myself in that situation, that you know, we need to do a bit of, bit of maintenance so that our seed time, when we come here and have the seed thrown at us, is worthwhile. And so there's a whole heap more in the parable of the sower and seed than just a description of what happens when you go out and preach the gospel to people. Obviously, yes, some people just hit not interested whatsoever. Some people hear the word, come along, get baptised, receive the Holy Spirit, and then we never see them again. They're off back into the world. And obviously that's you know a description of the, the seed amongst the stony ground, that it just doesn't take root. It germinates, but then it's gone. But we want to be that seed at the end that falls into the good ground, and we want to make sure that we are the good ground, so that when the word of God comes to us, it takes root, it changes in our life, and it brings forth the fruit, the fruit, the fruits of the Spirit primarily that the Lord is looking for us for. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2. So I said this talk was called Seed Time and Harvest, and I've only spoken about planting seeds so far, so that should mean we're about halfway through, right? So I'll be done by about quarter past 12. We'll do the harvest kind of end quickly. We'll get to that. Where are we going to? Second Timothy. So you've gone out, thrown seed everywhere, some seeds grown. That's fantastic. And what do you, what do you, and, and you've planted it everywhere, and that's great. What next? Because if you think about it, when you go out and look at a freshly planted paddock, it's barren. Because all the weeds have been sprayed out, the ground's been turned over, the seed's been planted, and you've just got bare dirt. And it doesn't look very productive. Because obviously a crop doesn't grow overnight. And you can come back the next day and the next day and the next day, and it might still be completely barren. Nothing's grown there yet. Because getting a harvest takes time. It takes a lot of time. And it's the same with... Recently, I was I spent a bit of time for work out around the Dumbleyung area, visiting farmers out there for work, and, and obviously they plant you know thousands of hectares of crop every year. And one of them said to me, "It's like we, we you know we get geared up for cropping and we go hell for leather to get the crop in the ground, and then you just want to have a break because you've been working really long hours, but you can't because as soon as the crop's in the ground, you've got to go and get the boom spray out and start spraying the weeds again." watching out for insects, doing all those other things. It's not a matter of you stick seed in the ground and you walk away and you come back months later and the crop's ready to harvest. There's always work to be done in order to get to the harvest at the end. And so, spiritually speaking, it's the same. The seed's been planted here. The seed is continually planted through hearing the word, through us encouraging each other. But in order to get the harvest at the other end, there's extra work that we need to do. And if you remember back to that scripture that you read in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, 
In the second verse, it says, Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you don't know if the profit will come from one activity or another. You know, it's, you can't just, you know, plant the seed and walk away. You've got to keep busy with your crop. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 here, I just want to go through a few examples of the things that we need to do. So verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as does a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so the encouragement here was to, to Timothy to make sure that you understand the word of God. Make sure that you understand the truth, because there are going to be aberrations on the word of God that come in to your fellowship. People are going to have something that looks like the word of God, but is being twisted a bit. You know, it won't be oats, it'll be wild oats that they're trying to plant, which look very, very similar until they start growing, and then the wild oats just go and take over. And it's the same with so many weeds. They look very similar when they first start to grow to a good, productive crop. Like if you've got a crop of canola and you've got a bunch of wild radish in it, when it first starts to grow, you can't tell the difference. But you'll tell the difference when it's harvest time because you'll have more weeds than you'll have good crop at the end. And so we need to be on the ball when it comes to understanding the word of God so that we can tell if there's some weed seeds which might be getting planted in our spiritual paddock so we can get rid of them before they get a chance to take root. And it takes some time and some effort to make sure that we're doing that. Um, let's go Ephesians chapter 4. Just back a few pages. Another example. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Again, these things of bitterness and wrath and anger and, and evil speaking, you know, that they're bad habits that can come into our fellowship and they're like, you know, a, an insect outbreak in your crop. It starts out as one or two insects and if it's left and isn't treated, it can explode and, you know, eat half your crop. Or rust, you know, which is a fungus which gets into, you know, barley and wheat. It starts out as just a little infection on one plant, but if it's not treated and not sprayed out, it can, you know, ruin the whole crop. And that's what these things are, those things of bitterness and wrath, you know, because we, as people in a fellowship, we spend a lot of time together and we've got natural traits which rub up against each other the wrong way. And so we can, if we don't have the right spiritual attitude, annoy each other at times and, you know, generate, you know, bitterness and, and things. We can, you know say stupid things that offend each other and if we don't deal with it it can generate bitterness within our fellowship and we don't want that so the antidote in verse 32 is to be kind one to another to be tender-hearted forgiving one another this is like 
the stuff you put in your broom spray to go and spray the weeds and the fungus and the insects out of your crop. These are the antidotes, being kind, being forgiving, all those important things that we have in a fellowship and being humble and being willing to, to admit when we've done wrong and to, to ask for that forgiveness as well. All important things in, in maintaining you know, our spiritual crop so that we can get our harvest in due time. Um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. I hate to say it, but the penultimate scripture. Stealing someone else's jokes around here. Hebrews chapter 6. So to get a harvest, obviously you need to be you need to be maintaining things, but the biggest thing you need to get a harvest is something that's clearly stated here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You need patience. Growing a crop, growing veggies in your garden, growing some petunias, it doesn't happen overnight. You plant a seed, it might, that seed might stay there for weeks or months or years doing nothing. You know, I think about my own father who's had the seed of the gospel thrown at him for 35 years. Hopefully some of it's gone in. I can't tell from the outside. There might be some growth going on that I don't see, but... You know, I through I hold on to this this promise that by faith and patience we inherit the promises. And you know, looking around, there's plenty of other people in this fellowship who've been doing the same thing with family members. You know, throwing seed at them, hoping that at some point something will grow. And so we have to have that patience and that faith that says, "Well, I've planted the seed. It's up to God to make the rain and to make the conditions right for that seed to germinate." And sometimes it takes a very, very long time. You know, I think of um, Betty Hill's husband, who I can never remember his name. It was Len, Len Hill. It was nearly 30 years, I think, after Betty got saved that he eventually came along and was filled with the Holy Spirit. So while there's life, there's hope. And so we need to have that patience. And the same with as we endure trials, as we endure the bad weather that comes on a crop and the, all the other conditions that crops that, that we go through, it's through that faith and the patience that we get to harvest time. Um, let's go to Mark chapter 4 to finish on. Because obviously it's all, it's all about the harvest. The whole point of planting seed in the ground, of, of taking care of the weeds, of, you know dealing with the poor weather when you've got to go and work and you'd rather just stain your Ugg boots. You know, it's all about the harvest at the end. And if there's no harvest, there's no point. So I just wanted one last scripture about the harvest. Mark chapter 4 and verse 26. And he said, this is Jesus, he said, So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, and he knows not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. Because it takes time. It takes time for that growth to happen and the harvest to be ready. Verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in his sickle, because the harvest is come. And that's what the Lord's doing. The Lord's planted a harvest on this earth and he's watching it grow. He's watching us grow. We've 
you know, our leaves, our stalks, we're getting bigger. And as soon as that harvest is ready, as soon as the, the ears of corn, the ears of wheat, whichever sort of, you know, agricultural crop or the, you know, the head of broccoli, you might, you know, think of yourself more as a broccoli than a wheat or whatever. As soon as it's ready, as soon as the harvest is ready, God is not going to hold back. He's going to get out the harvester and go for it. Take his harvest and go and take it home. And that's the day that we're waiting for. You know, obviously it hasn't happened yet because there's still a bit more growth to go on. There's a few more seeds to germinate, a few more people to hear the gospel and to produce that fruit that God is looking for. But the harvest is coming and when it's ready, God's not going to hold back. He's just going to get going and we're going to be with him. So let's make sure that we're part of that harvest. Amen.